You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Welcome back to MHR Radio, Mile High Report Radio Podcast. Uh, Ian St. Clair, Adam Alnati here on a special night. We've got uh, Ryan Edwards and uh, Andrew Mason, uh, first and 10 at 10 on Orange and Blue 760. Um, pretty excited to have you guys with us uh, because we've got some, some really cool things going on. So before we get started with that, um, just to remind everybody out there, uh, you definitely got to check out their show, first and 10 at 10. Ryan Edwards, Andrew Mason, and the great Steve Atwater, future Hall of Famer, Steve Atwater, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, you can uh, find them at at Mace Denver, at R Edwards Radio, and at Steve Atwater27 on Twitter. So I uh, just wanted to give them a quick shout out. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, it's 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 a Friday night, and it's great to have you. Thank you. Appreciate it. So let's jump right into it. The the news came out on Thursday that Steve Atwater is a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame for the second time. What does that mean to you guys, and what do you think it means to him to get this accolade and be one step closer to where he should be already? You go ahead and for, go first on that, Mace, if you want. All right, I'm, all right I'm, let me just – you guys were cutting in. Cutting in. Hopefully it's going to be fine now. Um, um, well – it's his second second finalist. Obviously, he was a finalist two months ago, and I don't necessarily think it means he get he get his year. Although I although I although I a good case, but you look at this class, and it might be tough to get him in this time. But you know, at least if he's getting in that room, you can keep pounding on the door over and over and over again. I know Jeff Legwald, the Hall of Fame selector uh, representing the Denver market thinks he's got an outstanding case for Steve Atwater. I mean, you can start with the eight Pro Bowls. You can start – you can go from the – to the fact that he really paved the way for a generation of safeties behind him. There's that great story about how uh, Tony Dungy got the Bucks job in 1996 and John Lynch was doing okay, nothing special at that point, and he pops in uh, a tape and some film of – Steve Atwater and says, John, this is the kind of player I want you to be. And of course, we know what John Lynch did after that. So Atwater's influence on safeties that came after him is profound. And then just to me, this is sort of a thing that crystallizes how safeties remain grossly underrepresented in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You've got obviously 22 guys on the all-decade offense and defense, 11 offense, 11 defense, for the 1990s. Only two of them are not in the Hall of Fame right now. One of them is Steve Atwater. One of them is Leroy Butler, also a safety. That tells you how safety has been overlooked to the detriment of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, really representing the greatness of this sport. And I do think with Steve Atwater, now that he's gotten in there again, there's, there is momentum on his side. I can't help but think that our show and kind of arm-twisting some of the voters maybe had a little bit to do with it. But I do think now with Steve Atwater, I can confidently say more and more that it's a matter of when, not if. Yeah, you know, and for me, and I said it earlier today on First and 10 at 10, that oftentimes for me about the Hall of Fame, I think when you get to this final list of candidates, there's an argument really for every single one of them. But for me, I, I tend to look at uh, guys that were considered elite at their position when they played and guys that you had to game plan for and you had to pay attention to. And it's, it's a similar argument, of course, that uh, the reason Terrell Davis uh, eventually got into the Hall of Fame. But Steve Atwater is on that list. Champ Bailey's on that list, at least uh, for the guys, the Broncos, that are up right now. And uh, look, we, when you talk about the greatest safeties of all time to this day, Steve Atwater's name comes up around the league. That's not just locally. That's around the league. So for me, that, that's, a, that's a big reason why 
uh, the momentum is building, as Mace put it. The momentum is building. I think it tends to be, uh, unfortunately, the safety position uh, has, has has kind of morphed a little bit. I mean, because now you're you're seeing guys like Ed Reed who are responsible for what like 13 touchdowns. <laughs> I mean, over over the course of uh, uh, I think that might have been just one season. I mean, he, he really uh, sort of revolutionized and changed that position a little bit. But again, Steve Atwater with his uh, two championships, his uh, Pro Bowl appearances, his all-90s decade team, uh, there, there's just too much uh, on the side of uh, what he has uh, meant to the game for me that, that makes him an obvious candidate uh, beyond just the fact that locally uh, he's looked at as one of the, the heroes for Broncos fans, Broncos country Growing up, one of my favorite players. I know uh, for you guys, the same thing. Adam and Ian, it's the same thing. One of your favorite players uh, watching when you're growing up. But, uh, yeah, I mean, um, I think it would mean, mean a lot to the community, too, because he's one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet. And uh, and then, again, it just seems to me like uh, he, he fits all of the criteria for Hall of Fame uh, when you factor in, again, just one of the most elite players at his position. I mean, what else is there? (laughs) (laughs) Now you guys summed it up great. You know, for us, and I kind of have this question because you guys get to work with him on a daily basis. um, And knowing that you're kind of, you're in the room with him all the time. How does, what has his reaction been like to, you know, being a finalist and the news that he, you know, received recently? I know he talks about it a little bit on the radio show, but just kind of for some of our listeners who maybe didn't get a chance to hear it, what, what has been his reaction to it? Uh, Go ahead, he's, Ryan. He's, yeah, yeah, he's he's been he's been overall pretty mild manner. You know, we've been working with him for about a year and a half, and I remember last year around this time when he didn't get to this level, uh, he sort of had a okay, well, hey, there's always next year. He kind of cracked a couple of jokes as if he didn't care, which we know, you know, he did care. But uh, I, I think that he, you know, it's, it's been so many years that that he kind of, and, and you see this with players. I mean, obviously, uh, further along in some cases where they just go, well, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I think he's a little uh, early in that process. But, uh, you know, today he walked in, he had a big smile, gave me a big bear hug, gave Russ, uh, one of the guys that uh, works with us on Orange and Blue Daily, a big hug. When Andrew came out from the crosstalk segment with Andy Lindahl, gave him a big hug. Um, you know, he, he, he clearly is 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 soaking up and feeling the moment, which I, I give him a lot of credit for because there, there's a lot of, I think, potential letdown in all of this process. And when you're a 15, when you're the 15 finalists, I mean, you're talking about a, a very small sliver of an overall uh, great career for most of these NFL players. I mean, 15 guys being represented here. Um, that there's, there's a huge potential. You're so close yet. You could still be very far away and, and be out of it by next year. So um, he, he's really embraced it, and uh, it, it was cool to see that, that he, he's kind of allowing Mace and I to kind of live, live through this a little bit, that, that we're allowed to be excited for him. And he's not sort of like, guys, let's not talk about it because it's not, you know, who knows if it's going to happen. He was willing to talk about it. He was excited to talk about it today. And uh, we, we played some highlights from his career. It, it, was, it was a fun moment for me in that opening segment uh, to kind of share that with him today. And, and we're going to be down in Atlanta for the Super Bowl, which is going to be really, really special as well as we kind of walk up to that Saturday um, announcement. So I'm, I, I'm excited to be kind of a part of that ride, no question about it. I think the interesting thing with Steve, to kind of echo what Ryan said, is first of all, he lets us live vicariously through him on this which is just awesome. This is an amazing experience personally and professionally to Steve. And it's just, it's just observation of him is, is seen over the last year and a half half, you know, he's gone from, from be down, downplaying and being, and, you know, a bit reserved, observed in accomplishments to really, really savoring them and manning them and really, you know, knowing, knowing what I did is pretty special. And the thing think with being a hall of fame final final obviously he wants to get against fame there's no question and no doubt he's deserving but but he knows that just getting in that in that room in the final final scene and doing so and so and so he knows that's accomplishing something that you are even if you're not selected for the hall of fame you're getting in that room um 
you're in the presence of greatness. And I think he knows that, like, the, the company he's keeping in that. So he's keeping means that he's, you know, in an elite presence. So it's really cool to see him kind of marinate and reflect on his accomplishments and know that what he did was special. And I think also being back in Denver and people coming up to him and saying, man, I love you. Man, you were my guy. I think he is genuinely touched by all that as well. Yeah, I think um, just from the fans' perspective, and, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way, uh, growing up in Colorado, John Elway was everybody's number one, but everybody had that other guy. Everybody had that one guy that they looked at as the other guy that they really loved on the team. And for, for many of us, it was Steve Atwater. It was It was him on the defense being sort of that intimidator, you know, across the middle, crushing guys like Okoye. We love the fact that he told that story uh, and talked about that uh, with us on the show when he joined us uh, a few months ago. And so I love what you guys are saying about it because he is one of those Broncos for people that he's he's the guy. Like he's you see him and you're like that's Steve Atwater. I want to I want to talk to him. I want to shake his hand. I want to ask him questions. Uh, Ian knows you know from my side of it. I fanboyed a little bit when he was on the show. I definitely. Made a little bit of, you know, I tried not to, but I couldn't help it a little. You know, it's, it's tough, but um, we're very, we're excited for him, as you can obviously tell. Yeah, I mean, uh, for 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 Steve, I know that uh, that he embraces that as well, and I thought Mace kind of echoed it there. The the notion that you know when he came back to Denver and he found himself in this role with the Broncos, where he is a part of fan engagement. Uh, I, I mean, if there if there, I don't know if there's a more perfect job for a guy than that for Steve Atwater fan engagement, because he really loves it. And, you know, there, there's no, like we, we all get, we all get sort of tired. I think sometimes doing our job and, and I, I, I love every minute of it. Mace loves every minute of it, but I mean, look, it, you know, that it, it's, it's a lot to stay on all the time, but I never, I, not, not even once have I seen Steve be uh, unavailable to Broncos fans. I, I just, ha- I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, about the only time ever was even close was, was really when we were traveling and uh, people were trying to get his autograph to sell it. And that was about the only time he ever said no. But otherwise, when he knows it's for a, a genuine fan, for somebody that cares about him, cares about the Broncos, uh, he's there every single time. Big smile. Yeah, sure, I'll pose for a picture and I'll sign an autograph. And um, I mean, again, like I said, uh, I, I thought May said it perfectly there. The notion that we get to sort of live vicariously through this process uh, is really, really tremendous, and uh, something that I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I barely could sleep last night. I was so excited <laughs> about sharing that opening segment with him during first and ten at ten. I, I, I literally was that geeked out about it. Knowing Steve and how much he cares about Pat Bowen, how much would it mean to him to be able to go into the Hall of Fame? with Mr. B. Oh man. Uh, he, to, to be honest for, for Steve, uh, he, if he could find a way to put all the attention back on Mr. B, he would. And, and again, that kind of tells you a, a little bit and, and, and vice versa. If Mr. B was able to kind of share in this moment, he put it all back on Steve. I mean, that's, that's kind of how those two men feel about each other. But, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a great point. I mean, I think the timing of it also could be sort of uh, extra special. I mean, um, th- this is, you know, this is the kind of stuff we love about sports, right? I mean, if it all kind of comes together like that, and, I, I mean, you could have the same year with Champ going in, and you could have the same year potentially with John Lynch. And I know that a lot of Broncos fans tend to look at him as a buck, and that, that's probably fair. But, again, you know, guys that are in the ring of fame, uh, it, it's it's all very special, and, and and the Broncos are kind of due at this point. And I know Mace would speak to the same thing uh, that that uh, the Broncos are kind of due at this point to have uh, uh, kind of an all uh, uh, predominantly Broncos kind of Hall of Fame induction. I think I think it could kind of go a long way. Now I don't know if the Hall looks at that way, and I don't know if it'll actually work out that way. But I I know that uh, for for Steve um, and and for Mr. B, they th- this could be. Uh, this could be a really cool moment, and um, like I said, I, I, just talking about it, I get I get kind of a little choked up about it because because I, I I have so much love for that man, and uh, working with him on a daily basis and uh, seeing the passion 
and how hard he's worked at it. I mean, you know, radio, radio isn't, hasn't, hasn't necessarily been, uh, something, I mean, he's never something he's never done before. So, so to have, to have him, uh, work as hard as he has to get to the level that he, that he's at now a year and a half later, and then to kind of be in this moment to be like, Oh yeah, that's right. You're Steve Atwater, future hall of famer. We get to kind of do this. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, it, I, I'm pretty excited, and, I, and I, I'm thrilled that we get to be down in Atlanta for the whole process. Yeah, the thing with Pat Bowen, it stinks that he can't appreciate all this because the one thing that I do know about him and how he felt about his players is that while he would be thrilled about likely going in the Hall of Fame, and I would be shocked if Pat Bowen does not go in the Hall of Fame, unless you have some controversy like Paul Tagliabue has, usually coming from the contributors pool, is a rubber stamp. So the thing is, though, Pat would was always about the players, and he would want at least one of his guys. And you can actually look at John Lynch, Champ Bailey, and Steve Atwater. Those are three guys he truly loved. Three players he truly loved. I mean, you know about the story about with John Lynch that uh, uh, he would bump into uh, Pat Bowen on the ski slopes <laughs> some off seasons when he was playing for the Buccaneers. And then, of course, once he played for the Broncos, they have the clause in the contract that says you can't ski anymore while you're playing. Kind of goes back to when Keith Carts tore up his knee uh, on the ski slopes back in the 1990s. But uh, it would mean so much to him to share that day with players he genuinely loved and admired and John and Steve and, and Champ, those are all those guys. And look, I think Ryan said it perfectly. The, the Hall of Fame is underrepresented still in terms of the Broncos. And a way you make up for that is a monster class. And if there were if you had at least three Broncos in this class, oh my goodness, that it wouldn't go all the way toward rectifying uh, the wrongs from the Hall of Fame because, you know, Carl Mecklenburg has never even been a finalist, and now he's going to have to go through the Seniors Committee. And, you know, Randy Gratishar still waiting. Louis Wright still waiting. Um, but a big class would really go a long way toward, toward righting the wrongs in regards to the Hall of Fame with the Broncos because relative to team accomplishment, they are the most underrepresented franchise. And uh, actually the interesting thing is with the Patriots having guys starting to retire, the Patriots are re- are going into that conversation as well. But uh, you can uh, see some of their guys getting in over the next uh, several years to a decade, and so that will resolve itself. And I'm hopeful the same thing will happen with the Broncos as well, that we'll see these guys get in and maybe in the next couple of years we talk about a, a seniors nominee as well maybe you see Mech or randy gratishar or louis wright getting the nod they deserve yeah uh definitely something that as as fans we um we have a tendency to hate the hall of fame because of of the way that they look at the uh at the broncos and, and what you said about mr b um I, I think this would be the perfect year to uh, honor him in a way that he would see fitting and, and the way that he would see fitting is to put some of his guys who were deserving into the hall of fame. And so, you know, I, I think I tweeted out something about a, an orange and blue sunset over Canton, uh, during the, indu- you know, the induction speeches, just because of how much that would mean to him more than anything else. So, uh, that would be, that would be really cool. Um, not to pivot, but I do think that the other thing we want to talk about tonight, and and it's something that is on everybody's mind, is the head coaching search, right? We want to look at, you know, who's out there, who's being interviewed. Mace, I know you're, you know, sitting sitting there waiting still on some things, and so, um, you know, we kind of wanted to put it actually, out there. To, yeah, it is done, and so oh. we, we actually have the story up on DenverBroncos.com now that the Broncos did talk to Mike Munchak today. So that's been that that is complete. So you can. Uh, uh, the, the story, I just post the story, and uh, we got some announced up. Actually, I think uh, there's a uh, should be showing up here in a minute. Um, uh, Steve Atwater and uh, and I think Phil Milani uh, with a video analysis as well on DenverBroncos.com or the Broncos 365 app. That's awesome. Look, that's nice. breaking news. 
I don't know how breaking news works on podcasts, but breaking news. I love it. We just did it. We, we just brought, we're the well, only people four people who know. <laughs> yeah. People are listening to this all weekend, so it's going to be easy to go back and find it. It's still going to be there. But, yeah, so there it is. You know, And usually uh, you know, they, they put this up uh, about the time it's done or sometime after that. And uh, uh, now it's, I guess, officially official that uh, – uh, they they met with Munchak today, and we'll see where we'll see where it goes. But certainly, uh, we talked a lot about Mike Munchak on the air today. Um, the strong resume that he has, and relative to some of the Broncos' needs, it's a resume that might be a good fit for them. Yeah, maybe. Um... Maybe talk to that, speak to that a little bit about um, what what are the Broncos really looking for in a head coaching candidate? Because that I think that's something that a lot of fans are curious about. Because with the candidates that are out there, you can see, you know, they, Zach Taylor's a name that's out there, and Vic Fangio's a name that's out there, and, and Munchak is a name that's out there. What, what exactly is it that you guys can see that the Denver Broncos are are, are looking for um, in a head coaching candidate right now? You want me to take this, Ryan, and then you follow? Yeah, you, you, you'll start and I'll follow. Okay. okay. Well, it's, it's an interesting question because you look at these five guys and they all represent kind of different parts of the football spectrum, different strengths, different levels of experience. I mean, you know, Chuck Pagano, he's taken a team that had an elite quarterback, and as we know, it's all about the quarterback, took that team to within one game of a Super Bowl before things kind of tailed off, and he has a defensive background. He was a defensive coordinator in Baltimore. Um, good leader. The, the you know, there's a lot of praise from uh, the Colts uh, neighborhood about you know just what kind of leader he was in the locker room, keeping those guys playing hard. I can attest to that uh, 2017 game with the Broncos played on Thursday Night Football, and uh, Colts lost. You know, the spirit was willing, but the uh, you know the roster was weak at that point further weekend by a knockdown drag out overtime game against the playoff bound Buffalo team in the snow that they played four days earlier, but they kept playing for him. I think you can say the same things about uh, Mike Munchak as well. I think what the thing with Munchak though, is he never did have the quarterback in Tennessee. And so I think you look at him and say, okay, he kind of make chicken salad out of chicken. You know what? They didn't go to the playoffs, but he kept them competitive. And the other thing of Mike Munchak, is even though he has not been a coordinator, his area of expertise, to use the John Elway phrase, is an area that has been a trouble spot, a bugaboo, call it what you will for the Broncos, for the last few years, and that's the offensive line. And everywhere Munchak has been, his years in Tennessee, and then in Pittsburgh the last five years, he's fixed the offensive line. He's made it better. I used a stat today on first and ten, ten um, the Steelers, in the first 10 years of Roethlisberger's career, they were the second-worst team in terms of sack rate against. And then Mike Munchak shows up in 2014, and for the last five years, second-best. Only New Orleans has done better uh, relative to pass plays in terms of uh, not allowing sacks. And and obviously, he's got good – he has good players. He's, you know, Alejandro Villanueva, David DeCastro. But who's the guy making those players – special and I think there's a lot of teaching involved with that and Mike Munchak I think gives you a chance to get a trouble spot right Vic Fangio no head coaching experience defensive wizard he's done you know he's been in been with a lot of teams he's succeed on defense almost everywhere he's been I think uh, the, the question with Vic Fangio is he's 60 years old he's been a successful coordinator in the NFL for over two decades going back to uh, being the first defensive coordinator in Panthers history back in 1995, why hasn't he gotten a head coaching shot? Is it something in the interview uh, process? What's gone on there? But certainly uh, he brings a lot on the defensive side. The question with Fangio is who'd be his offensive coordinator? Same with Brian Flores, although he lacks the experience of a little bit cool on Flores' candidacy simply because he's only worked with New England. These other guys you're talking about, they've at least been with multiple teams that seen different philosophies. And Mike Munchak in particular, being in Pittsburgh, that's exposed him to a pretty dynamic offense that will push the envelope on the field and push the envelope tactically. Just look at how they loved going for two after every first touchdown for a while there in the last few years. And then Zach Taylor, 
it's hard to get a read on him. We know that he's been exposed to the Sean McVay offense, and I think that is driving a lot of the interest in him. But at the same time, the resume, I would say, is the thinnest of any of these candidates. And the question is, what does he have? Can he make that leap from quarterback coach only one full season as a coordinator on any level, and that was in college at the University of Cincinnati. Can he make that leap? I look at Zach Taylor, and I think maybe there's another step for him to take before he gets to be a head coach, in my opinion. Maybe he needs to be a coordinator for a year or two and run an NFL offense and show what he can do there. But uh, the one, the other thing that I hear about all these guys they have in common, outstanding demeanor. And that's that, I know that's something the Broncos are looking for as well. Someone who can really control a room and yeah, uh, get, get I, I going you, in the right direction. I noticed you didn't say leader of men. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I understand why that phrase is used. I just I don't want to hear it again. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I there are other ways to say that. I I, I hear that and I go, Ugh, you know, let's yeah. let's get away from that. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, I mean, but but that's that's kind of what you have to be. And I mean, look, if you're not, I mean, first of all, just a leader of men. I mean, you're only coaching men, so I mean that that would that would make a lot of sense. You'd be a leader uh, of yeah. people because you're leading the whole organization. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah. just the no, football I'm... team, not just the players. Yeah. And you uh, have female I, coaches too, a leader of people. I I agree. I agree, Mace. I agree, Mace. I think I think the the notion of being able to command a locker room. I think that's that's what uh, that that's usually what it resonates with me. But but more than anything, I I think that you know you kind of touched on a lot of the nuts and bolts. I mean, I'll I'll just add a little bit here with uh, you know with, with Pagano. I mean, you, you look at uh, him taking over a two and fourteen team uh, with the Colts and going eleven and five for three straight years. I mean, that that's pretty impressive. I mean, uh, he had Andrew Luck, but uh, you know they they still had to build up a lot. And they had uh, they had an offensive line. They had plenty of offensive line issues. They had uh, issues with their defense, injuries all over the place. But he still was able to sort of uh, get things on track to to go three straight seasons of of really really impressive football. Uh, with uh, with Munchak, I think what we we kind of worked on today with first and ten at ten was the notion that he really maximizes his roster. Uh, he took what uh, what he was given from Jeff Fisher. And uh, he made it better. They were they were a better team. They won three more games. Um, their numbers, at least defensively, immediately improved. And then on the offensive side, it took a couple of years, but they they improved there. And then of course, once he left, and they turned the, the team over to Ken Wisenhunt, uh, the team was bad for for a couple of years. So you you kind of look at that. For me, I mean that that kind of tells you a lot about him, about how what kind of impact he immediately had on the team right taking over for another team and as soon as he left what happened with it uh, he really maximized the roster as, as Andrew pointed out there never really had the quarterback I mean he had to work with journeyman kind of quarterback in Matt Hasselbeck and uh, Jake Locker and Ryan Fitzpatrick those were his guys and and he had injuries man Jake Locker got injured uh, early on in uh, one of those seasons so I mean ultimately for uh, Mike Munchak it, it just it's one of those guys that seems to work the best with what he's got and that's kind of what the Broncos are looking for right now in my opinion they're looking for a guy to come in and say I don't need a perfect roster to be able to win win football games um I, I can I can make things work with the guys I, I currently have and we'll, we'll make a few additions I, I think he could be even better if he found the quarterback and I think there's also an argument you know we had uh, Jim Wyatt on who covers the Titans uh, all the way back into the 90s and he said something today uh about it and he said um uh, you know, ultimately, with him, uh, I mean, he, he kind of brings a, a certain steadiness to the job, and he thinks that in the second time around, it's gonna it's gonna work a lot better, a lot better for Mike Munchak, and I I kind of have a feeling that's gonna be the case too. Um, I'm 100% lockstep with Mace on uh, Vic Fangio. Uh, boy, there's a certain kind of demeanor and temperament that he would be bringing to this team that they could probably use. And if Vic Fangio ended up being the guy, uh, that that's a great hire. Uh, but why has he not? Over three decades of, of being around the NFL and it, it hasn't happened, I think there's always just this wonder of why. And so, you know, again, but you're, you're talking about some of the best defenses over the last couple of decades that he's part of, and that's hard to ignore. So the Broncos, who have, are spending – top five money in the NFL right now on the defensive side of the ball, you bring in a defensive guy that's going to 
uh, bring a certain kind of toughness to this team, a mental toughness. I, I, I don't see how anybody has a problem with that. As you said, though, Mace, I mean, it kind of comes down to eventually who's going to be his coordinator in that respect. It's really for all these guys, but uh, the coordinator, especially the offensive side of the ball, because uh, the offense uh, specifically over the last several years has, has really needed a, a lot of help. And the Broncos haven't evolved. They haven't uh, found the right kinds of players, the right mix of players, and really the right, right amount of talent. And what's cool about the Broncos, at least right now on the offensive side of the ball for me, is it, it's a lot of young kind of moldable talent. And it feels like if, if you got somebody in here that uh, recognized the strengths, the relative strengths of these guys that are available to this team, they could mold something that, that could work. Uh, you, you could see a turnaround. You could see a change in the offense. Um, maybe not, you're not seeing Kansas City numbers overnight, but you're seeing at least competitive football from the offense. Uh, the other two guys for me are, are more about getting in the room with them and picking their brains. Uh, it, no offense to Zach Taylor. I think it's just, hey, tell us a little bit more about the Rams offense and, uh, and, and your experience. And, and who knows, maybe he, he, he ends up being a candidate for OC. That's a possibility. And then uh, with Brian Flores, I, I, I guess it, it's kind of uh, maybe in, in, in a little bit in the same vein, um, a guy that uh, – has maybe a little bit more, obviously more coordinator experience than Zach Taylor, but really it's about those other three candidates that are really in the running for this thing. Before we get into the favorites, because um, I'm going to have a story up this weekend and I want to get your guys' thoughts on who is your favorite to get the job, the dark horse, the least favorite, but Scotty Payne, who is an MHR staffer, has brought up a great point on Vic Fangio on why he's leaning towards Vic Fangio being the favorite at this point. And that's because of a certain quarterback in Kansas city who is probably going to be wreaking havoc on the Broncos for the next 10 to 12 years. And you, you want a guy like Vic Fangio who is able to control the defense and game plan for a guy like Patrick Mahomes. And then the thought of maybe potentially having Sean uh, Zach Taylor as the offensive coordinator for Vic Fangio. What do you guys think of both of those observations? Well, uh, it's an, you go ahead, Ryan. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say for, for me, uh, I, I mean, I, I like the notion of it. I mean, honestly, uh, Vic Fangio, when, when, when this whole thing opened up, I, I immediately said, well, they're going to just based on history, they're going to probably go with a coach that's been a coach before, at least, at least probably at the pro level. Maybe they consider a guy at the college level, but they're going to definitely go with a guy that's been a head coach before, after the experience with Vance Joseph. Well, and then you take a look at the candidates and you say, okay, well, there's only two of those guys. The other three candidates don't really have that, but Fangio has tons and tons of experience. So he, he at least where he lacks in head coaching, he can make up for with uh, seeing how it's been done for the better part of three decades. So, uh, for me, when I when I take a look at this, um, I, I I think that can make a lot of sense. I mean, again, you have to kind of convince, make sure that the Rams are are willing to let him go. It would be a promotion, obviously, but the Rams, of course, could still block it somehow and then give him a ceremonial OC kind of tag, even if it's Sean McVay still making the calls. Uh, but but I like the notion of it. If they're wowed by Zach Taylor and they get into that interview and they're wowed by him, and they're like, this is a guy that's going to revolutionize our offense. Um, I, I think that there's an argument to that. And, of course, you, you already know that the, the Broncos are really keen on keeping Gary Kubiak. And so that, that I don't know exactly how that role works out necessarily. But um, if, if Gary really wants to be the OC and he really wants to coach again and the Broncos are intent on not letting him leave the organization, that could also play a bit of a factor. You know, Fangio, first things first, um, his time in the NFL goes back to the 1986 season. He came over from the Philadelphia slash Baltimore Stars of the USFL with Jim Mora, the elder Jim Mora. And you talk about him trying to figure out how to defend Patrick Mahomes. And I look at Vic Fangio's career, and I see a lot of great linebackers who could thump against the run but handle coverage responsibilities on his watch. His you know, with the Saints, the Dome Patrol linebackers, Pat Swilling, Ricky Jackson, Vaughn Johnson, and Sam Mills. Uh, in Carolina he was a defensive coordinator. He had Sam Mills on the inside and Kevin Green off the edge. 
he coached in Baltimore in the 2000s. He had Bart Scott and Ray Lewis. He coached the 49ers earlier this decade, Navarro Bowman and Patrick Willis, and uh, brought in Roquan Smith, who looks like he's going to be an outstanding player in Chicago. Point being, he does know how to counter those offenses and, and the skill sets of, of various quarterbacks and knows how to counter some difficult matchups. The question is, how soon could he get the personnel to do that in Denver? Because he, obviously, yeah, you got some great players. You got to, you know, Bradley Chubb and you've got Vaughn Miller, but I'm not sure that as of yet he has that kind of uh, run thumper slash coverage linebacker that he's always had at, almost every one of his stops that has made his defense go. And it would be fascinating to see uh, what he did to try to, to, to bolster that if he got the job. And the notion of pairing him with Zach Taylor, I think that's intriguing again. Like, you know, I think I can echo what Ryan said uh, about uh, Gary Kubiak and, uh, and what happens there. The other thing with Zach Taylor, if the Rams blocked Zach Taylor from going somewhere else to call plays, that would be a real surprise because last year, Matt LaFleur was by title there, you know, a coordinator in Los Angeles, but they allowed him to depart for Tennessee because the Titans gave him play calling responsibilities that he would not have had with the Rams. So I can't imagine the Rams changing their philosophy. And don't forget, Sean McVay, you know, he, he comes from a strong football lineage, you know, going back to, of course, his uh, his grandfather, a coach and GM in the NFL. I don't think it's Sean McVay's mo to deny an opportunity to one of his lieutenants. Before Adam jumps in with a question, I I wanted to to jump off of what you said, Mace, about that run stopping middle linebacker. And there's a couple of free agents that could potentially be attractive targets if Vic Fangio were to get the job and two of them come to mind being CJ Mosley and maybe Landon Collins. Now, if Mm -hmm. CJ Mosley might be tagged by the Ravens, I'd be surprised if he wasn't, but some, some definite possibilities out there. And there's also some guys in the draft too. Yeah. And I, and the thing is, of course, if you do pick one of those guys, that means you're also kind of creating another need that, uh, uh, are you filling another need, but you're not, you're, you're filling that need, but you're not filling another need. And, uh, you know, Mosley, and I think the notion of getting Mosley, if he is on the market, I think that actually kind of makes the most sense. He's not going to be cheap, but he's a guy that would fit in very well. And, uh, Hey, look, th- those types of, of linebackers, they're, they're kind of hard to find. And, uh, that's why you see him at a premium The the guys who can do virtually everything. It's one reason why, uh, Terrell Edmonds last year, Tremaine Edmonds last year from uh, Virginia Tech, even though you know, he was young and didn't have a lot of experience, why he was a mid-first-round pick and ended up going to Buffalo because uh, that skill set, that multifaceted skill set, it's very hard to find. The one thing I also say as well, you know, Vic Fangio, he's you know been running mostly three fours. I do wonder if, even though we've heard about Brandon Marshall kind of uh, being on the bubble and he's talked about it. Uh, in, in the locker room toward the end of the season. Uh, you wonder if Vic Fangio, at least in the short term, couldn't uh, be the guy who gets a bit more out of Brandon Marshall, assuming Marsh stays healthy. We'll see. It's an interesting thought. Um, so I do want to I want to ask you guys your, your opinion on this because you guys have some good thoughts. Do you have a favorite? Like, do you have a preference as far as the direction that the Broncos go? with? It, it looks like it's going to be one of these five guys, and it sounds to me from – the way that the two of you have spoken about the candidates that the Broncos have interviewed, that you have sort of a, a direction that you would be leaning as a preference. But just uh, and and uh, Ryan, I'll start with you. Is there a preference? Do you have a guy who you would be the most happy seeing uh, the Broncos hire right now? Well, I'll be honest. I mean, it's, it's vacillated a little bit. Um, I, but, I hang on, Ryan. Top. Let me let me stop you there. Vacillated. That's a big word for our audience. <laughs> You're gonna want to. You're gonna want want to explain it. I've I've uh, I've gone back and forth. There we go. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, I, I've I've really I've taken a look at. I mean, all three the top top guys in my opinion, and that's uh, not to try to discount anything with uh, Brian Flores or to uh, 
to not say that Zach Taylor could uh, play a role. I, I, I'm with Mace on the notion of him jump, jumping from quarterbacks coach all the way to head coach. Seems like a pretty steep jump. He's had that handful of games with Miami where he was a interim OC, and he, of course, was an OC with the Cincinnati Bearcats, but that's that's just really not not the same thing. So uh, as far as for me, the top three, uh, if, I'm, if I'm asked about it to lean today, I'm actually leaning towards Munchak. Uh, I, I'd say earlier in the week I was probably – uh, a little bit closer to Pagano. I, I talked a little bit about Vic Fangio, and we're going to do some more on Vic, Vic Fangio on Monday, which I'm excited about because I think he's a legit candidate here. Uh, so I, I've really kind of gone back and forth, and I, I think I, I, as I find myself kind of diving into each guy and, and the success and sometimes failure of each of their positions and what they've done uh, with, the, with the different teams, uh, you, you find things you like about them. And then as you start talking to people, you know, because I remember even a couple of years ago when I was doing my research, even on Vance Joseph, and I know that's a kind of a bad word with some people in Broncos country right now. But <laughs> when I was doing my research on Vance Joseph, I asked a lot of people about him. And, and I mean, just I, I, I couldn't find many people. Now we found out later about some stuff that went on at, at CU. But I mean, otherwise, the people I talked to just couldn't stop talking about uh, what a great communicator he was and how he was really on his way up. And uh, this, there was going to be a team that takes a chance on him and, and he was going to do some really great things. Um, you know, it, it didn't work out for the Broncos, or at least the way that they hoped, um, par- partly because of him, partly because of other factors, whatever you want to call it. Um, but the way I start diving into these guys and I start, you know, sort of texting some people I know that were around these guys, you know, today it's Munchak, you know, to make a long story short, you know, today, today I, I like Mike Munchak a lot. I, I thought the way we talked about him today about how he maximizes his team. He's not always been, you know, look, when he was with Tennessee, he didn't, he wasn't gift wrapped an Andrew Luck. And I mean that no disrespect to Chuck Pagano. He wasn't gift wrapped the uh, stud franchise future quarterback in his first year. He had to kind of make do with journeyman guys and he brought them to nine and seven coming off of Jeff Fisher's uh, six and 10 season. And then he sort of kept them afloat. He kept the numbers pretty reasonable and he kept them competitive and he kept the guys playing hard for him. So uh, I, I like, I like him a lot today. And I'd say he's probably the leader in the clubhouse. Yeah, I have to echo that. I think if you really kind of take a look at what John Elway was talking about on Monday, what he's looking for, talking about experience, talking about expertise in an area, not necessarily being a coordinator. Mike Munchak checks those boxes. He also checks the leadership boxes. There's a, a great deal of respect for him from players who played for him, people who worked for him and with him right on down to the media. You can hear Jim Wyatt, uh, on uh, Orange and Blue 760's website, also on DenverBroncos.com, Jim Wyatt, who covered the Titans uh, at the time and still does, talking about just what kind of relationships he had with people and uh, how good he was with the media. He gets guys going in the same direction. Tennessee didn't, you know, go, didn't lose because Munchuk didn't have them prepared week after week. They lost because they had three different quarterbacks taking a majority of the snaps, getting a majority of the starts in each of his three seasons. And it's very telling that the Titans go from seven and nine in Munchak's final season to five and 27 over the next two years. Mike Munchak really maximized what he has to me. That's coaching. That's what a coach is supposed to do. And the other thing with Munchak, I love the fact that he spent the last five years in Pittsburgh, the exposure to Mm -hmm. those philosophies. It certainly has kind of broadened his horizons a little bit in terms of uh, what he can see offensively and what they can try to do. And, look, I think Chuck Pagano is a good candidate. I think he's very qualified for the job, no doubt, and I think he could bring some good things. I think Vic Fangio, uh, he certainly got – a lot of experience and he's seen everything on the defensive side. But uh, I think also, I think with Munchak, he checks all the experience boxes, expertise boxes. And I think kind of the final thing that sways me to him is that he's on the offensive side of the ball. And I think this hire probably needs to be an offensive hire. To throw a question back to you guys that you asked me last week on your show, 
when I was, to put it in Ryan's terms, in Wyoming on purpose. <laughs> who will be the quarterback for the Denver Broncos in 2019? Mace, you go ahead I think it's Case Keenum. I think it's yeah. Case Keenum at the start of the year. Um, it's possible that a new coach may feel differently. And I think one way or another, they're adding a young quarterback at some point. Uh, it's a question of whether it's in the first round or a later round. If they add a quarterback in the first round, and that would probably mean at least at pick number 10, if not moving up, then that is your quarterback of the future, and the clock then starts ticking as to when he takes over. And then you are tying your long-term on-field franchise health to that quarterback. Um, If it's a day-two quarterback, then you see where he goes, and if he's ready to play at some point, great. You find out about him, but that may not preclude you from taking a quarterback high in 2020. But uh, I think all things said and done, and especially if Gary Kubiak is is more connected to the coaching staff in some way, and of course he brought Case Keenum in at Houston, I think at this point right now it would be an upset if Case Keenum is not your season opening starting quarterback. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm completely with you on that. And Again, I know the Broncos fans are frustrated, and he played below even his career averages this year, and that, that's just that's just really unacceptable. But uh, to that last point, I mean, if, if there is probably not a person in that building that loves Case Keenum more than Gary Kubiak, and so that's where you know you start tying things together with okay, if Kubiak wants to be an OC, and if the Broncos want to keep him, that that is, is Case's best shot at at showing some kind of return close to what the Broncos feel like he could be. And, and, and again, that doesn't mean that they're, it, it precludes them from going to the draft. It doesn't mean that they're not going to continue that route. Um, if anything, you, you saw what you, you needed to see at a case out of the first year is only a two year contract. That was very smart on the Broncos part. It was very smart on cases part, but you saw what you saw there. So case Keenum is either going to be, the uh, bridge quarterback to the guy in 2019 or the bridge quarterback to the guy in 2020. And so he, he's the guy to start out the season. If they draft somebody else and the season goes sideways, then you're going to see that other quarterback at some point. And then if uh, they decide to draft kind of a later guy just to sort of develop, then I, I'd like to see them stockpile in 20, 2019 to get to 2020 and really take a run on uh, what looks to be a very promising quarterback class. And so that, that's the thing is it, whatever coach comes in here, there's a lot of uh, conversation and, and rightfully so about what kind of quarterback situation that this next coach is walking into. And th- there's definitely concerns there, but at least there's a landing spot. You know, wh- whether you like Case Keenum or not, there's a landing spot. They're not walking into Kevin Hogan as the guy and uh, Garrett Grayson are the two quarterbacks on roster. They're walking in. They at least have Case who, you know, has shown the ability to be able to win at this level, and and then you can go from there. And not to mention the fact that maybe maybe the next head coach likes the notion of hey, we got a top ten pick. Let's let's consider a quarterback there. Or if nothing else, let's let's put some marbles in. Let's let's accumulate draft picks. Maybe even trade back from ten, as Mason and I've talked about, and grab an extra first rounder for next year, and start really start thinking about quarterback in 2020. Let Case ride this year out give him a chance to to show us that he's more than a bridge but we're we're going for a young quarterback either in this year and next year and and i think that's ultimately pretty promising for broncos fans does okay so just out of curiosity does looking to 2020 mean that 2019 is a throwaway season because if you're focused and you understand my question there right does that mean that the 2019 is is another losing season for this franchise that that isn't used to having back-to-back losing seasons. It, I mean, it doesn't have to be. Uh, I, I, it doesn't. It doesn't. You know, to make to make that short, it, do, it doesn't have to be that. Uh, I mean, you just have to have a focus, right? You have to have a plan for that position, and that's what uh, Andrew and I. And I know Andrew's going to kind of echo the same sentiment, but you have to have kind of a plan there. So, if uh, your plan is to accumulate draft picks, is to accumulate capital for the 2020 draft to have as many shots at, at moving wherever you want to in that draft in the first round, 
then make that the plan. And you make that the plan before you even enter the 2019 draft. It doesn't mean that you're tanking, and it doesn't mean that you don't think you're going to be competitive. Heck, like I said, if Gary Kubiak says, hey, look, I'm the guy that's going to turn Case Keenum around, let him be the guy. Let him let him do that. Uh, I mean, hey, I, I, have, I don't think I have an issue with that. I don't think, you know, Broncos fans aren't thrilled with, with, with how things went with Case Keenum, but I, I don't really get the vibe that they're rooting against the dude. I think that you, you'd like to see him succeed because if he succeeds, that's good news for the Broncos. Uh, yeah, sure, if they are worse this next year or bad this next year, it's going to help out their draft positioning. I, I totally understand that. But this notion of tanking, the Broncos as an organization just simply won't accept it. Why can't you be Buffalo in 2017? And I think that is an example of what this team could do if it gets its defense playing at a high level has few mistakes from the quarterback. Of course, Buffalo had Tyrod Taylor that year. You know, Sean McDermott took that job. Nobody expected Buffalo to do anything that first year. It was and, it, and, it looked, and in retrospect, you look back, and it's pretty clear their plan was go get a quarterback in 2018, and they did with Josh Allen. But in the interim, they were able to have a 9-7 and seven season that got them back to the playoffs. Uh, gave their fans hope again, kind of revitalized things. And then they still went and got the quarterback in the 2018 draft. But you st- you, even though they took a step back in terms of record, they continue taking steps forward in terms of what they're trying to build. I think it's very possible that if you get an efficient season from the quarterback position, even if you don't find the young guy in 2019, you can have a season – that at least pushes for, if not uh, gets the Broncos back into the postseason. And then in 2020, you find your long-term guy, and maybe you're, again, like Buffalo, your record may take a little bit of a step back, but at least you're, in general, in terms of building, you're going in the right direction. You're learning things about your young core, which guys will continue to be a part of you getting back to the level you want to get back to, which is obviously perennially contending for the Super Bowl. So... Yeah, I think if you have a season like Buffalo did in 2017, and that's very possible, everyone's going to be happy with that. To bring this back around to what we were talking about at the beginning about Steve Atwater, we're doing a 27 for 27 like we did the 30 for 30 for Terrell Davis. If you guys Mm -hmm. had to pick out a couple of reasons why Steve Atwater is a Hall of Famer, aside from the fact that he was – one of two all decades players from the nineties and the eight pro bowls and all pros. What are some of the more re what are some of the reasons that fans may not realize that he's a hall of famer? Maybe even some of the hall of fame voters may not realize why he's a hall of famer. What are some of those reasons in your guys' mind? Uh, you want me to start Ryan? Not only was he a great player, but he was at his best when the lights were brightest. His signature play was on Monday Night Football with the entire nation watching, and arguably his best career game was in Super Bowl thirty-two. If they gave out defensive players of the game as well as MVPs, Steve Atwater certainly would have won it. He On that day, he, along with Terrell Davis, was were the two biggest difference makers in getting the Broncos their first world title. When it mattered most, Steve Atwater was at his best. And that's part of greatness is taking your already elite game to an even higher level in the most important moment. I like that. Uh, for me, uh, uh, more of a under the radar thing that I've, I've, didn't really know about until we've had a chance to interview some of the former players that uh, that were on the defensive side of the ball, especially the ones that uh, were there when he was drafted in the first round and got there as a rookie. Uh, interviewing some of those players and 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 really talking to them about about ultimately how pretty humble he was when he got there. I, I think there there was a certain learning that he wanted and and he wanted to to come in and be a bit of a sponge with those guys he recognized dennis smith and he recognized uh coming in with simon fletcher and and really with with so many 
defensive leaders on that side of the ball, Carl Mecklenburg, of course. I mean, they, there's just so so much uh, that that he wanted to kind of absorb uh, with with the really the history of of the Broncos, and and he came in with a certain amount of humility uh, for what the Broncos represented, and and immediately sort of gravitated to the vision that Mr. Boland had. And so something that, that I don't think uh, I realized, I know I didn't realize before doing the show with him, um, but something that I didn't, uh, that, that, I, that I just sort of had to soak up through, I guess, osmosis of, of being on the show is that he didn't come in as this hot shot first rounder. I've got, you know, I, I've got it all figured out and I'm ready, I'm ready to take ownership of this team. The reason Steve Atwater worked and the reason it worked with that team is he came in and he filled the needs that, were needed, that, 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 that had to happen on that team, and he, he soaked up the leadership from the rest of the guys around him. Um, I don't know how you put that into your 27 for 27, but <laughs> I, I think that uh, just the overall, like I said, humility of, of Steve Atwater to always kind of be a sponge. And then I noticed that the way he approached even broadcasting, he, he came in very sponge-like into broadcasting. And again, he could be like I'm Steve Atwater. And trust me, I've worked with enough former athletes, not throwing anybody under the bus, but I've worked with enough former athletes in broadcasting where there's a certain amount of egos that they did. They tend to come from, they tend to come in with a, well, I played the game and you didn't. So I'm going to sometimes talk to you like that. Steve was the furthest thing from that. In fact, he oftentimes looked to me, looked to Andrew as uh, as experts. And hey, what do you think about this? What? How do you think this would sound? And, and he'd want to. He'd constantly be picking my brain about how how do you how do you do this? How do you do your research? How, you know. And and he was the same way as a player. He'd go to Dennis Smith specifically and ask him, okay, how how, how am I supposed to do this? And and how is it supposed to look? And and again, we look at Steve Atwater because we have the perspective of his entire professional career and say, wow, I mean, that, that guy was a beast from day one, but it, it took a certain mindset that he had for just as a human being that, that helped him gain that kind of success. His sponge-like ability to sort of soak up all those lessons led him to the path of now being on the precipice of a Hall of Famer. Can you... And, and Ryan, I'll have you go first on this. Can you guys talk about how uh, you, you said you've worked with him for a year and a half now and, and you, you talk about him being a sponge. Can you tell us sort of the, the difference between, uh, you know, what he is today on the show and, and, and uh, what he was when he first started? Can you kind of give us an idea of the sort of his his ability to improve or, or where he started and where he is now? Because he's, he's fun to listen to on the show. Uh, and I just kind of yeah. wanted to get your idea on that. Yeah, I mean it's every it's all my work. Uh, I'll take all. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, he's uh, no, so he's modest like, you are. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. No, um, no, and 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 obviously Mace. Uh, I mean, look, it's one of those things. I mean, I've I've been I've been doing sports talk radio for you know about ten years now, and um, I've I've worked with with a lot of people, especially a lot of athletes, and you know, not a lot of them are willing to put in time. And it, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of study and it takes a lot of listening and reflecting to what you're doing um, to, to get better. And, and not, a, not a lot of, especially ex-athletes want, want to get better because they, they think, well, I, I played the game at a high level. I won championships. I'm beloved. Everybody knows me. Uh, I'll just show up and do my thing. And, and you're, you're the radio guy. You, you make me sound good and, and we'll, we'll make it work like that. Uh, Steve, though, um, been one, and, and, and I don't mean this to sound, sound hyperbolic because honestly, um, I mean this as sincere as possible. Uh, he's, he's been different than a lot of guys I've worked with because he sometimes texts me in the middle of the night and say, well, why well, I'm, because he'd be studying all night. Like when he started, and Andrew can test this. I mean, he would literally get very little sleep at night because he wanted to be—he wanted to be on top of everything. Like he he read all these articles, and he read all everything about football that was happening, everything that, that that you know anybody that would write any article about the Broncos, he read everything. And so you know sometimes he'd come to me the next day, and he'd have just this sort of like vomit approach of of 
knowledge. And I'm like, dude, slow down. You trust me, we'll get to all of it. I, I, it'll be fine. But he'd be like, well, I, I wanted to make sure I knew about everything. And I was like, look, you don't need to know about everything. And I'm never going to put you in the position. And I told them this early on, I'm never going to put you in the position where you're going to be on air and you don't know exactly where I'm going with something. And even if, even if, even if you have to fake your way through it, you're going to understand that. And he's gained those tools. So he started out in a way where he attacked it just like he probably attacked being a player. He studied and he studied and he worked and he grinded and he listened to himself and he listened to the show over and over again. And, he do, and, and eventually he's gotten into a nice rhythm. And now, and, and, and this was months ago, you know, so this wasn't just like right now, but months ago he sort of turned the corner where he, I could tell he started having more fun and started realizing the entertainment value of what we're doing. It's not just about the X's and O's. It's not just about uh, talking football and, and making sure people don't think you're an idiot. It, it's about it's about entertainment, and it's about having fun, and it's about showing up and hanging out with Mason and I on a daily basis and 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 understanding that, that his role ultimately is is to be him. And, and I think it just – it took him a little bit of time to say, okay, who is Steve Atwater as a broadcaster? And – and, you know, it, it took him some time and that, and that's okay because, you know, there's guys like Tyler Columbus who literally figured it out right away. Um, and I've been around guys like that where they, they literally, you know, it, it took no time at all. They knew exactly how they wanted to sound and who they wanted to be on the air. It took Steve a couple of minutes, but uh, yeah, he settled into a nice rhythm and day one, you know, we joke about the Lumba thing because that was his mm-hmm. nickname on the team you know, he's a little stiff early on and he'll even admit that because he was so focused on being perfect. And now he's sort of relaxed and he's allowed the process to work and he still studies, like he still studies like crazy and he reads up on all these things and he's ready to go on any topic I want to go to, but it's in a way that he knows that it's not kind of life or death. And he understands that there's an ebb and flow to all of it. And uh, he's just much more I don't know. He's much more relaxed now. It's a lot of fun to work with him on a daily basis. Same thing with Andrew. Yeah, and the thing is with Steve, you mentioned the Lumba thing, Ryan. I think at first he was kind of reserved about how much he wanted out there, kind of was putting up a wall. But if you're going to do it right, you've got to let the imperfections, let the kind of the needling and the playfulness, you've got to let that come to the surface because – all that is part of what humanizes you to an audience and uh, really enhances that connection. These things, maybe you know, you know, maybe it's something that was that you might have perceived as an imperfection. But when you've got a good show and the audience is responding and you have a good interaction in there, it's actually part of what makes it special and makes it magic. Is that humanity? Is that uh, you know, everyone kind of bringing each other down a level? You know. Steve and Ryan can take me down a peg or two from time to time and sometimes take Steve down a peg or two, but it's all in, in good fun. And, you know, when he kind of grasped that and settled into that, that I think really took him to the next level. And the best thing I can also say with Steve is that the guy you hear on the radio, that's him. It's not like he's a different person. That is genuine Steve that the listeners are, are hearing and that people who watch the daily show uh, on my 20 and on denverbroncos.com it's the genuine Steve that they're seeing and hearing every day and that's just awesome to me it's only making him more beloved in broncos country if that was possible i have to ask before we sign off for this podcast where did the hat toss come from (laughs) well it's a story from my childhood. Um, it's Bucks Packers 1992 Milwaukee County Stadium. I believe it was a Thanksgiving weekend right around that time. The Bucks frustrating franchise then, frustrating franchise now. The backstory on it, they've had kicker trouble that year. Steve Christie, who kicked a long time in the NFL, they foolishly let him go and play and be free agency that year. Uh, they'd already cut Ken Willis, a former Cowboy. They brought in Eddie Murray, who is one of the league's all-time leading scorers, but at this point in his career did not have the strongest of legs. The Bucks are down 19-14 uh, in the fourth quarter to the Packers, led by a then-second-year quarterback that a lot of people know named Brett Favre. But 
They've got a chance. They're driving. In the fourth quarter, their drive kind of goes astray, so down by five with a little over five minutes left. They've got to go for the field goal because they can't go for it on fourth and long. Eddie Murray comes out in the field, kicks it, and it's short. Continuing the Bucks kicker woes, and something snapped in me. A ye- another year of frustration. I took the hat off my head and flung it across the living room, and it went square into the Christmas tree and hit it with such ferocity that the tree starts swaying back and forth, back and forth. The ornaments are swaying along with it, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, if this thing falls, I am going to be in deep, deep trouble. I'm going to be grounded. I'm not going to be able to watch the end of this football game or probably even the next game because uh, my mom is going to be so ticked off at me for knocking down the Christmas tree. Fortunately, the tree stood intact, and I avoided uh, that sort of punishment. But I was telling the story on the radio one day, and uh, it just became something we we ran with, a way to kind of express the frustration that I know fans feel after Broncos' losses and also a fun way to do it because – Last year in 2017, as the losses mounted, it just seemed like the Monday shows were repetitive and, and frankly, boring as we were saying the same things week after week. Here was a way to kind of do things differently, do it in an entertaining manner. And uh, then, of course, the visual element of throwing our hats in the studio. We've got the cameras in the studio now for uh, DenverBroncos.com and uh, the show on My 20 every day. So it sort of helps that as well. And it seems like a lot of fans have kind of latched onto that so it's a lot of fun and of course we've got the gifts to go along with it that i love using well fellas i gotta say we really do appreciate you guys coming on on a you know it's a friday night i'm sure you you've got a lot of things that you'd like to be doing and uh it's it's been a, it's been just a, a pleasure and a blast to, to have you guys on tonight so we we definitely appreciate that i echo those anytime. sentiments yeah anytime anytime guys we appreciate it we've uh We've enjoyed work with uh, Mile High Report now for, uh, well, we're not quite a year, but uh, for at least 75% of a year. Uh, as we, Wait, we you didn't do it, Ryan. You didn't do it. <laughs> 75! Got, there it is. Well, I got kids sleeping, so I don't want to wake them up by shouting. Uh, but, yeah, 75% of a year. And uh, so we're, no, we, we, we enjoy this relationship with Mile High Report, and you guys can have us on anytime. Yeah, appreciate it, guys. And I, I can tell you, you had a lot of, you know, Mile High Report's been around for a while, and obviously a lot of people have contributed to it over the years. And uh, one thing that hasn't changed is that, uh, and I, I mean this personally and sincerely, you guys have always supported me in my career, uh, both the first time I was writing for the Broncos back in the uh, in the mid-2000s and now. And uh, you know, you've, kind of, you've helped me uh, build my audience, and uh, I'm forever grateful for that so always pleasure talking to you guys awesome we appreciate it you've been listening to mile high report radio get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com and as always go broncos